That is right. It is time for another Master Passive Income podcast session. My name is Dustin Heiner. I'm your host. And we look all at real estate rental properties and how we can invest our money in rental properties so that we have enough money coming in into our pockets every single month without working and being able to live the dream life because we don't have a job and we have enough money coming in so we don't have to worry about the bills coming in or you know if we're going to be able to go out to this fancy dinner or travel the world. We want to have enough money coming in without us working and having an automatic business. Now today we're going to be talking about delayed financing and many other things. I have an awesome guest for you today and he is going to be sharing all about how he has built his business and how he's already quit his job and how he continues to build his business. All right, guys, let's jump in there. Let's start the show. I'm so excited for you to be here with me. Let's learn together how we can quit our job with real estate rental properties. All right, let's jump into it. Welcome to the Master Passive Income Podcast, where we talk about all aspects of real estate rental properties with a special focus on making enough money so you can quit your job and live the dream life. And now, here is your host, Dustin Heiner. Hey guys, so before we get started, I wanted to share with you about my trip here in Alaska. So I'm currently in Ketchikan, Alaska on a fishing and hunting trip. I'm on the very tail end. If you remember last week I told you I was going to be traveling uh, with a buddy of mine to see a friend up in Alaska. Terrific guy, being able to hang out with him, go fishing, see a lot of great things, catch a lot of great fish. Even though the trip has been fantastic, it started out pretty rough. Our first flight was canceled, so we had to go from uh, Fresno, California, flying to Seattle, then Seattle to Alaska. Well, our first flight was canceled. Second one was delayed. They had added an extra stop in Portland. Everything was uh, pretty rough all through there, but they also got our baggage on another plane, and so we were without luggage, and that was pretty, pretty rough. But we made it through, got there just fine, and... The next day we went fishing. We went back into the mountainous area. You know, there's there's the ocean, but there's also the mountains where we're fishing at. And we went and found a lake. And the lake had huge salmon in there, pink salmon that were really, really huge. And they were at least two feet long, like no kidding, two feet long. Oh, and I will put all of these pictures on the show notes page, masterpassiveincome.com forward slash 023 for the 23rd podcast, income.com forward slash 023. And you'll see all the pictures from my fishing trip, all the great huge fish that I caught and the, the great fun that I have. I'll even try to put some videos on there for you as well. But um, so the first day we caught a ton of fish in the river and in the lakes, but then we also took a guided boat trip into the ocean. We caught our limit of halibut, of lingcod, with lingcod's a huge type of a huge fish that eats other fish, like really really big fish. Anyways, caught our limit of that. Um, we also caught limit of rockfish and salmon, and we're having a fantastic time. And I wanted to get this podcast ready so that while I'm gone, you'll be able to have a podcast. Now, in today's session, I have interviewed a gentleman by the name of Lee. Lee Huffman is a fellow investor. He got started a number of years ago 
was living in California and bought in a whole nother state, just like I did, you know, jumped in, in another state without actually having the property right next to you, which is possible guys. Cause I know a lot of people think that you need to invest in your own backyard if you want to do it right. And you want to do it safely and not lose your money. Well, I didn't do that. And Lee didn't do it as well. So let's jump into the session where we talk all about how Lee got started, how he continues to build his business, and how he uses delayed financing to buy the properties and get them fixed up as well as get them rented so he has cash flow coming in every single month. Now let's jump into this episode where we talk to Lee Huffman. All right, Lee, thank you so much for being on the show. I'm super excited for you to be here with me and the Master Passive Income podcast listeners. We are all going to get a wealth of information from you. So, Lee, thank you so much for being a part of the show. Hey, it's great to be here, and I look forward to, to talking with everybody. Great. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Like, are you married? Do you have kids? Where do you live? And and what do you do for fun? Things like that. Sure, sure. So I live in uh, the suburbs of Nashville, and I actually just moved here in July of 2018. And so I uh, moved here from Southern California and really just came here for a slower pace of living, uh, lower cost of living, and uh, be able to spend more time with my family and uh, work on my business. So, Do you have family there in Nashville? No, it's actually kind of funny. We are out on an island all by ourselves. You know, it, we have some family that's close by, a couple states away, and it's a little weird being in Calif- from being from California. You're not used to driving an hour or two and all of a sudden being in another state. Uh, in L.A., you know, you can drive an hour or two and and barely make it to another city. Absolutely. I'm I'm from <laughs> Fresno, California, as you know, and yeah. I currently live in Phoenix. And the longest part of the drive is just getting from California, like from LA to California, end of California, where Arizona starts. Once you get in Arizona, it takes like an hour and a half. <laughs> the other time it's yeah. just driving through California. For sure, for sure. But yeah, so back to your question. I have a wife. Uh, we've been married uh, this year, it'd be nine years. And I have two children, uh, Timothy, who's seven, and Scarlett, who's three. And uh, overall, just enjoying life out here and uh, looking forward to being able to actually, I've been bidding the last couple of days on a couple of other properties. So trying to add to my portfolio. Oh, good for you. So what brought you to Nashville as opposed to any other state? Well, when we decided that we were going to leave California, uh, one, you know, obviously job opportunities uh, played a big part in it, but, uh, and Nashville has one of the lowest unemployments of any major city. And uh, so that, that, played huge into the into the decision. My wife has been building her career and uh, there was an opportunity here. Um, but, you know, we also considered both of us leaving our jobs and just kind of starting fresh in another city. So we looked at, at cities like Seattle, Portland, Denver, uh, Dallas, Austin, and Nashville because we wanted, we wanted good weather. We wanted a lower cost of living, slower pace of life. Uh, but we also want to make sure that there was, you know, a lot of the big city amenities that we are accustomed to living in uh, Southern California. And I, and for me, because I love to travel, I want to make sure that the airport was uh, uh, at least a good size, so that way I can I can find flights to uh, the, the destinations I want to go to across the U.S. and and internationally. That is that's great. You know, really well thought out. Good for you. Yeah, and and the number one thing is I didn't want to shovel snow, so uh, pretty <laughs> pretty much like the Northeast uh, was off the was off the radar for uh, unless unless somebody wants to pay my wife a million bucks to work, then then obviously we can work that out. Yeah, no kidding. And being from LA, you definitely don't get much snow. <laughs> so very cool. So Lee, so where do you currently own properties, and did you start buying them when you were in California? <laughs> 
Yeah, actually, all of my properties I bought remotely. Uh, I was living in California uh, when I bought my first property in, in 2006. And uh, all of my properties are in North Carolina. Uh, part of it just happened to be because that's where my, my brother lived. And uh, we sold the house in California and, and bought a house for my parents. And uh, when I sold my house, uh, perfect timing, actually. Uh, so got pretty lucky. I mean, part of being a, a good investor is having a little bit of luck on your side. And uh, got lucky. We sold in April of 2016. I mean, not 16, 2006. Oh, good and, timing. And it was like perfect timing because really everything started to kind of fall down uh, that summer. And uh, so we had some money, uh, bought my parents a house. And I said, well, okay, well, I'm going to, I don't know where I want to live. I don't know what I want to do. Uh, I was just going to go live in an apartment for a little while till I, while I figured things out. And so I said, I, you know, I have enough money. Uh, one of the houses that we looked at um, as a potential house for my parents to move into had a tenant in place. I said, well, you know, I've always wanted to, you know, invest in real estate and earn some of that passive income. So you know, maybe I'll just try to buy that one also and, uh, and then have a tenant already built in. And that, that was my first rental property. That's that's great. I mean, I've bought many properties that don't have tenants already in there, but I've also bought many properties that there's actually a tenant already in there. And from day one, it's great when you find good tenants that are already inside there. Day one, you start making money. It's just amazing to get money right when you buy a property. Yeah, exactly. There's, I mean, there's really two trains of thought on that. Uh, one, sometimes people are are afraid of inheriting a property with uh, with the tenants inside uh, because. You know, you just don't know what type of headaches they are. You don't know if they're paying their bills on time. There's a lot more research you have to do to make sure that it is a quality tenant that's not going to give you a lot of headaches. I completely uh, agree. And so some people, they would just rather, uh, whether they're a good person or not, uh, uh, a good tenant or not, they would rather just blow them out and start fresh. That way they can pick somebody, make sure that the lease terms are, are satisfactory to them. Uh, and then make sure that they've uh, the tenants have gone through the vetting process that's theirs instead of somebody else's. That's a great idea. Now, what I've done in the past is I actually bring the tenant that is currently in there as I'm going through the process of buying it. I take them through my entire process from doing a background check. Basically, they're reapplying for uh, to be in the property. Now, if they have a current lease and I have to write out the lease, I can't just you know say up and le- you know get somebody out because of the lease is. Um, isn't up. But if they're on a month to month, I definitely have them reapply and go through my entire process. And if they're not good enough, or don't meet my standards of how I want to have a or the type of tenant I want, then I give them a 30 day notice to vacate and then go find another new tenant. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a way better uh, (laughs) approach than I took. I basically didn't really know any better. I said, Oh, okay, cool. I'm gonna get a check from day one. And that was (laughs) that was about the extent of my research I did. Did it work out? Uh, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, uh, I guess there's two pluses and minuses from where I invest uh, over in the Fayetteville, North Carolina area. Um, on the plus side, uh, there's their military, and so if they don't pay the rent, then you can go out, go to their commanding officer, and you will get paid. But on the on the negative side is that because they're in the military, they get orders to ship out. They can say, "Sorry, I know I'm in a lease, but uh, I'm out of here," and now you have to go find another tenant, even if it's only a couple months into that lease. Yeah, I completely understand that, especially, you know, you, you don't want to have an issue with the commanding officer or the military in general, where if you have, um, you know, you lose a tenant and then you start getting upset at the military and then all of a sudden they start getting 
telling their military um, officers and, you know, more normal soldiers, don't go to this place because this guy doesn't treat their tenants well. You know, they, word of mouth will go around really, really quickly. Sure, sure. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, uh, you know, being proactive with my tenants. Uh, I don't let any sort of problems linger. I'd rather knock it out and get it done. And that way, one, keep my property in, in the best shape possible. And also, two, you know, vacancy is a killer, uh, both from, you know, if you have a disgruntled tenant and they do something negative to your property before they move out, uh, but also just having, not having a rent check in the meantime while that, while you're finding another tenant. So, uh, I'd rather do everything I can to, you know, within reason, uh, of being a good landlord. So that way they're motivated to stay with me instead of going to find someplace else. Exactly. I, I love keeping tenants. When I have a turnover, it's just, it costs money. It definitely costs a lot of money if you have turnover, especially if you have an eviction on top of that. So, well, Lee, tell me a little bit about that first property. We talked to, that you, how you found the area, but um, tell me how you found the property itself, how you bought it. And, you know, did you get a mortgage on top of the cash that you had from your previous sale? What was the size, you know, the area, you know, what type of tenants you might have, the price and rents and things like that. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's been a little while. It's been about 12 years. So <laughs> I don't remember the, the exact details, but, uh, you know, because I was buying, uh, with a, with a strong down payment, I was able to buy it. Uh, you know, I was able to negotiate the price down a little bit, you know, cash is king. Uh, and whenever you're a qualified uh, purchaser, then, you know, they're, they're obviously going to be more lenient to, to reduce the price. Uh, I think we bought it for around 112. And, uh, the rents were, I want to say about eight fifty a month. And, you know, nowadays, now that I'm more knowledgeable about the whole process, you know, uh, the people out there that understand the 1% rule probably, you know, choking right now, uh, because it's nowhere near one, uh, 1%. Oh yeah. But, uh, but overall, you know, I mean, that's, that's kind of what happens when you buy retail. Uh, you're not always going to get that 1%. Um, and so I learned a lot from that. Uh, you know, the, the rents have gone up a little bit uh, over the years, and uh, now it's making, I want to say about nine fifty a month. I think that's what it is. Um, yeah, I have the property managers handle it all, so you know, I, I just basically enter everything into QuickBooks and and be done with it. So, uh, <laughs> but overall, they're um, you know the tenants are, are good. They you know, right now I have eight properties, and um, again, I just I'm not too into all the details because one, I don't want to be uh, accused of being um, any sort of discriminatory or anything like that as far as who the tenants are, what race, religion, sex, uh, orientation, anything like that. So I don't even know the names of my of my tenants. I just know that I get a check from my property manager, you know, the, around like the eighth of the month, uh, get, gets a deposit into my account. And that's really all I know about most of the pro- most of the tenants because nowadays you have, just have to be so careful. Uh, that way you're not having any sort of, um, negative consequences, uh, you know, w- with your ownership. So, uh, finding a good property manager, let them take care of it. I mean, if I really wanted to get into the details, I could, uh, I know where they are. I just choose not to, because I don't want any sort of, um, negative opinions that, that could, that could crop up there. I, I couldn't agree more. I absolutely love using property managers. And one of the greatest things about property managers, on top of everything you just said, is that they also make your business an automatic business. And so it, mm-hmm. they do all the work and you just get a check every single month. It's absolutely brilliant. I love this business. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, my property manager will involve me if there's repairs that are needed. 
uh, things like that. Uh, you know, what I tell them is actually, I want to see the invoices. So I don't want them paying invoices for me because I want to make sure that I'm accounting for it properly, uh, in my, in my accounting. And, uh, you know, cause I don't want them because you know, property managers in the past have accidentally applied, uh, expenses to one property that weren't related to that property. And, and they just, just because they're good at being a property manager doesn't mean they're good at accounting. I you know that, that's just put it, put it that way. And so I rather have a little bit more control. Uh, yes, it's an extra step. It's a little bit extra work from, for me, but, uh, being, you know, the, the finance guy and, and the, the guy that's really kind of into the numbers, I'd rather have a little bit more control and spend a little bit more time, uh, by being involved that way than just letting it be on completely on autopi- autopilot. Yeah, I, I completely understand and agree with you on that. So looking at your first property, how what was it like to get past that, uh, you know, the butterfly feelings or the, the nervousness that, hey, this is something I've never done before. You know, maybe a lot of people have bought a house that they are gonna, they're going to live in, but they haven't actually bought a, an investment property that's going to make them money every single month. They have to worry about all the business aspects. Tell me about your, your thinking. Were you scared? Were you nervous? How'd you get past any issues that came up? Well, I, I probably have a little bit my different mindset than the most. I, you know, I wasn't really worried. I wasn't really scared. Uh, part of it was because I looked at it at worst case, if, if the tenant doesn't pay because it's in a lower cost market and I had a low mortgage that, you know, it's not going to hurt too bad if I, if I have a vacancy, you know, if, or if there's a problem because, you know, I'm making California money and I'm paying a, a mortgage in North Carolina. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, that's, that was just part of my overall plan. I mean, if I was buying a property that was in, in California and I was living in North Carolina, um, making North Carolina money, then it'd probably be a little bit different and I would have approached it differently. But, um, the fact that my, literally my car payment at the time was about the same, if not more than my mortgage, hmm. then, you know, it's like I, I didn't really worry about it as much, but I really should have. And I, I certainly don't <laughs> I certainly don't recommend anybody take that approach, um, you know, and and that's part of the reason why I've continued to buy more properties is that uh, there's a there's kind of a mindset where you go, oh, you know, if you have uh, a multifamily, whether it be, you know, a duplex, triplex, quadplex or something larger, then, you know, if you have one vacancy, uh, it's not going to hurt you as bad because you still got all the other tenants that are paying the rent. But if you only have one property and somebody's not paying the rent, now you got a hundred percent vacancy. And so as we've continued to expand the portfolio, a vacancy doesn't hurt as bad because you have the cash flow coming in from the other properties to help offset the loss of income from the one property that you, uh, that you have vacant. Absolutely. Now you said we a couple times. Is, are you talking about you and your wife, or are you talking about other investors, partners? Uh, a little bit, a little bit of both. Uh, actually, three of the properties I own are myself. Uh, I bought the I bought the two in in two thousand six. Uh, one was my the the first rental. The second was my parents' house, and my dad when he passed away in two thousand twelve, I turned his his house into another rental. And then I bought my third rental in, I, I believe it was 2013 or 14, uh, after I was able to save up enough again to buy to buy the next one. And so uh, so those three are the one I own myself. And then in 2014, I partnered up with one of my fraternity brothers, 
uh, who I've known for a long time. And he basically has been, been just like another brother in our, in our family. And uh, we started getting involved and doing a, a few flips here and there. And we now have five rental properties uh, together. That's great. So you were flipping, obviously flipping, you get a good chunk of money coming in. Did you use that money to live on or did you, or, and, or did you use it to buy more properties so that you can actually have them as rentals? Yeah. Part of it is that that's the, that was the idea, right? But, uh, part of the problem with flipping is that you have to do, you have to do your rehab differently if you're doing versus if you're doing it for a rental. Right, you yep. do it for do it for, if you do it for a rental, uh, you're you're making it more sturdy. Uh, you want to make it pretty, but you're not as focused on making it pretty, so you're not putting as as nice of touches in it because you're worried that the tenant may mess it up. So you want something that's that's cost of, uh, effective to replace. Versus if uh, somebody's buying it, they're going to want higher end finishes, they're going to want uh, higher end uh, appliances, and some of those other touches to be able. to have them write that check to be able to buy that home. And so, uh, so with that, and then also obviously you're doing a little bit more in depth rehabs, you're uncovering more problems. The more walls you, you tear down, the more things that you open up, uh, it's like a, like an onion, the more layers there are that, that could go wrong. And so, uh, we've, we've made okay money, but nothing where it, it was any sort of life changing. And, um, and based on that, at least in the market that we were in in Fayetteville, we realized that it wasn't really a uh, a flipping market from the deals that we've been able to find. It's it's a much better rental market. That's great. I like how you were able to take whatever scenario and be able to like an entrepreneur normally would is come up with um, answers to questions or you know there's a roadblock and you figure out a way to get over that roadblock um, to make money if it's flipping the house then great you're able to flip the house if it's hey this is we have a good deal but it's not a flipping deal let's make it into a rental you're Mm -hmm. you're able to figure out the the problems and figure out ways to get past the problems that's that's terrific you need to be able to do that in this business uh, for sure. And you, know, you realize like not every market is appropriate for every type of investor. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, where I lived in California, to me, it wasn't really, it's not really a rental market um, because just your, the return on your cash is not going to be there for you. You know, you, we talked about the 1% rule earlier and uh, the California market is not a 1% uh, rule market. I mean, the house that I was, uh, living in, if I tried renting it versus what it was uh, appraised for, and what I ultimately sold it for, I mean, you're talking like half a percent <laughs> or less, you know, as far as what type of rents you're you're going to get, and so that, and then on top of that, then you factor in the the expensive property taxes that are that are there in California, and it's really not as much of a money maker. It's more of like a like a gambling market where you're hoping uh, to catch that that wave uh, riding up on the appreciation. That makes great sense. I completely agree. And that's why I started, I think it was 2006 or into 2006 into 2007 when I bought my first property and I bought it in Ohio and I was living in Fresno, California. Fresno is a much cheaper market than LA, definitely, but still it is really expensive compared to like Ohio or, you know, uh, Fayetteville, North Carolina. Um, so in, in Ohio, I bought my first property and then kept building my business from there. And so I, my very first property, just like you, was out of state, you know, completely away. So I had to get a property manager. So good for you. A lot of people have a uh, 
tendency to shy away from um, looking outside of their own state or really even their local area that they can't drive to the property. What would you say to people either to encourage them to or not? You know, if you've had a negative experience, it doesn't seem like you have, but what would you say to people that are hesitant to go out of their state to start investing? Well, I mean, the number one thing is that if you're going to invest, you want to make sure that the return is going to be worthwhile for you. And a lot of times, unfortunately, the the local market may not be offering those type of returns that make it worthwhile. You know, so you have to you have to consider looking outside of your area and finding some place where it's good. And so one of the things that I've done is I parlayed the fact that I had local knowledge with my brother and my my parents living in that area as the opportunity to continue to invest. And so, um, and then for the people that, that may not know this is that as a property owner, you can actually go visit your properties. At least this is like the, the rules as it used to be. I haven't studied on the new tax rules yet, but the way the tax rules used to be is that you can visit your property twice a year and use that as a write-off. So I can go out there, visit my properties, make sure that the, that the, the properties are in good shape, uh, scout out for new properties you know, doing all those you know, related businesses. Uh, and then at the same time, oh, while I'm here, go see my family. That's great. You know, so this way you can turn what would normally be an out-of-pocket expense to go see your family that's not tax deductible. Now you're turning it into a, a potential tax deductible opportunity. So obviously you got to speak to your CPA and, and figure out the tax laws for your, your situation. But there are some opportunities like that. So you can look at it if, if you want to go visit friends or family. Uh, so you get the double benefit of potential taxes, uh, tax savings, and also the ab- the ability to go see people. Uh, and then also consider areas that you want to go visit on a regular basis. Say if there's uh, some place that you like to go to the shore to um, to go to the beach or to the lake or, or whatever, guess what? You can go there a couple times a year and use that as a as an expedition to go look at new properties and then also check in on your your current properties. And now you're getting a double uh, a double benefit. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. That's something that my wife and I are definitely looking into doing something like, especially, I mean, we love going to the mountains. Um, and so someplace closer to the mountains. And in Fresno, they have the mountains that are the Sierra Nevadas and they're fantastic. So we've been looking at property in the Sierra Nevadas because we can go see family in Fresno. We could head up to our property, check out the property. And that's a great idea, making that sure that's a business expense because you're you're actually checking on your property and checking on your business. That's great. Yeah, and if it's a more of a seasonal rental, you can actually, or at least it used to be, you can actually use the property. I think it's up to fourteen days without I think it's something. It, like, yeah, I think it's something yeah, like that. So around that, uh, but again, check with your CPA to find the the exact rules. But I believe you can probably use the property up to fourteen days for personal use without affecting its ability to be considered a, a rental property. That's great. So, Lee, do you have any? mistakes or failures or something that you can let our listeners know that, hey, watch out for this because I either lost lots of money or lots of time or whatever it might be. Do you have any six or sorry, some failures or any uh, type of issues that came up that you can share with the audience? Well, the biggest failure on the rental side is that I trusted one property manager a little too much. And, um, you know, I'm not sure how I would have been able to to get around this, but apparently she ended up getting into, into some money problems, and uh, everything was everything seemed fine. Uh, I could tell she was a little distracted uh, when I would talk to her, and then all of a sudden 
I found out that she uh, was kind of handing over her business to somebody else and was moving to a different country. I was like, okay, that's a little weird, but you know, I understand, you know, sometimes love makes you do crazy things, uh, whatever. Uh, turns out, uh, she had actually spent all of the security deposits, uh, from me <laughs> and from other, uh, other, uh, landlords, uh, property owners. And she spent all the money and it wasn't like she took off with the money. She just frittered it away over time, uh, and basically left with close to zero bank account balances. Um, you know, so we're going through that whole process of trying to get the money back. Um, it's been a, it's been a crazy ordeal. And again, I, I'm not sure if there's any logical way to be able to kind of watch out for that other than, you know, just kind of watch it if there's a change in behavior with, uh, with the people you're working with, whether it be a contractor, property manager, uh, you know, insurance agent, whoever that's, that's on your team as far as helping you uh, manage your properties, just be careful, you know, and if something seems amiss, you know, investigate it further. Um, you know, right now we're out security deposits on, you know, seven or eight properties and we're trying to, we're trying to work with the department of real estate for the state and trying to get that back. That's a, a great point. My very first property manager, I met the property manager. I had no clue what I was doing. And I said, okay, she seems nice. She seems good. She, you know, showed me around the properties and all that sort of stuff. I literally flew to Ohio and met her and met, you know, saw the properties, met some realtors. But yeah, so my, my property manager was doing great for about six to eight months. And then at about the eight month mark, I was, my business was going really well. Then she decided, I want to go ahead and open up a sub Subway sandwich shop. It wasn't Subway, but it was like a sub sandwich shop. Sure, sure. And so I had a real um, uh, retail establishment. So she knew that I had that as well. And so she was asking me questions, how, you know, like uh, having inventory and stuff like that. And so noticing, I should have noticed, not that she was starting a business, but I should have noticed the change in, in her mannerisms and characteristics as I was talking to her about my properties. That was what should have been a red flag or even just a yellow flag to say, hey, be cautious that something might be happening. And it turns out she was stealing from me. She would you know, make expenses up like, hey, a whole main drain for the entire house needs to be replaced. So there's, you know, a thousand dollars. So wow. I never got a receipt for it. She charged me or at least, you know, deducted out of my rent. And anyway, so that's a great, great tip. So from that, what um, lessons have you learned or what tips can you give? Or is there any cool like hacks or, you know, neat things that you've found out about this investing business in real estate that you can share with everybody? Well, the, the number one thing that I use uh, that's allowed me to, to purchase the last five properties is something called delayed financing. And I love this strategy. It's, the again, the number one way that I use uh, to buy all my properties now. And so what, what, the, what the process is, it's a, uh, I believe it's a Fannie and Freddie product. And what you do is normally when you buy a property and you want to use the uh, after repair value to get a loan, you have to wait either six months or a year right? Uh, in order to be able to, to gauge that new value. Yes. But, but with this program, what it does is it allows you to do is as long as you pay 100% of your, of the purchase price and the, uh, the repairs, and then you can add some additional, uh, related expenses. Like I include my, the, the first year's insurance and uh, termite inspection and, and those type of expenses in there. And then if you do all that on the HUD, essentially you can use the lesser of 
I believe it's 70% of the appraised value or whatever's on the HUD uh, as your as your maximum loan amount. You said 70%, right? 70%. It's either 70 wow. or 75. Uh, the rules kind of change you know, here and there based on uh, the whims of the of the market. But uh, on, a, on the safe side, you could say 70%. And so like the, one of the first properties we, we bought under this program, we bought it for, I want to say 52. We put about 15,000 into it. Uh, and then it appraised for 100. And so on our HUD, the, it was around 67 and change was, was on the HUD. And so that was our maximum loan amount. And so basically, uh, you know, you get, you buy the property, you rehab it, you get a tenant in place, and then you refi it. As long as you do all that within six months, you can use, you can use that, that higher, uh, that higher uh, potential loan amount using the appraised value after repairs instead of using your purchase price. That is that is brilliant. That's that's great. I do something very very similar, um, and it's basically um, you know you buy the property cash. This is in a sense what you're saying: buy the property cash, fix it up, and then um, get a get a loan on the property. And so you pull all your cash back out, so you can buy another property. You basically recycling your money over and over again. That's a brilliant brilliant way to um, continue to build your business. Now, when you work with, uh, is it a mortgage broker or do you talk with Fannie Freddie themselves like how do you get that process going of getting this delayed financing yeah it's it's all through a mortgage broker and this is one of those things when you're building your team you want to have people that you can have conversations with and find out what's going on in the industry and take that knowledge and use it and apply it to your business so uh, you know I was having conversations with the mortgage broker I had used them before on a couple other um, couple of refinances and I was just trying to explain to him what I was looking to do and, and how I wanted to be able to ramp up and do and do more properties and do more business. And he said, well, you should check out this pro- this program that we use and um, learned about it. Uh, you know, I had a couple of hiccups here and there where I didn't do it exactly the right way. But uh, overall, you know, as I've perfected it, I mean, it's it's an awesome program. And I've even I've taught a couple of my friends how to use it. And uh, my buddy Alex, uh, he just used that that process and literally from purchase to refinance and getting the cash back out. I think he did it in just under two months. Oh, that's fast. Yeah. Cause he had the, the property manager was on it as far as having a, uh, a tenant right in place. The rehab was a pretty light rehab. So it took less than two weeks. And I believe the tenant was in place almost immediately as soon as they finished the, the rehab. And then you, you know, you got the, the normal, you know, four week process for the mortgage. So, I mean, from start to finish, getting your cash in and out in two months is just like record breaking. You're setting the world on fire right there. I mean, it's it's like I got a huge smile on my face right now just talking about it because it's, it's so amazing. That is absolutely amazing. And so when you go through the process of the mortgage, the mortgage company is the one that does the appraisal. Like they, they are the one that initiates and sends out the appraiser, right? Yeah, yeah. That's the way the, the rules work nowadays is that that uh, you can't pick your own appraiser. So it's not like you're cherry picking and, and trying to find somebody that, that would have an inflated value for you. I mean, these are all real real world numbers, you know, um, finding things that are of true value and b- basically doing it the way we do it is you, you're buying it distressed, you know, uh, you put a appropriate rehab in there again, because I'm able to, to lock the expenses in there for essentially 30 years. Uh, I actually go a little overboard on the rehab because I don't want to have I don't want to have 
another expense in a year from now to replace a fridge or replace some flooring or whatever. So I'd rather load it up from day one, get all that stuff done immediately. And that way I'm not affecting my ability to earn income from a tenant uh, down the road when I'm having to, you know, displace them to be able to make those repairs or them leaving because the house is in disrepair or whatever. I'd rather have that property as nice as possible yet being as economical as you can. Um, and then doing that whole process and just, you know, setting yourself up for years and years of kind of worry-free uh, maintenance on the property. Yeah, that's great. So do you find that most mortgage um, brokers don't know about this delayed financing? Did you have to find somebody specific that knew about this? Well, luckily I didn't have to search for it uh, because the the mortgage broker I was working with brought it up to me. But you know, there are so many programs that are available out there. It wouldn't surprise me that a lot of a lot of them don't know about these programs. You know, a lot of people inherently are lazy, right? So they know what to do uh, for the basic stuff, and they just focus on that and knock it out all day long. But it's it's finding the the right person that knows. You know, kind of like the gray areas, kind of like the fringe products that are really powerful and a lot of add a lot of value that a lot of other people may not know about, and then basically being able to apply that and be able to build that relationship with, uh, with people that can use that product on a regular basis. That's great. Now, is that seen as a normal residential loan? It would be an investor loan. I mean, that's why you're kind of capped at like that 70 to 75% uh, loan to value. So how many can you have in your name or does it go into the business name? Uh, it's in your personal name, but you can have up to 10 mortgages with that uh, under that program, including your your primary residence. So uh, for me, if I right now I have eight properties, so if I had the mortgage in my name here and those, I would be able to do one more. And so essentially, there is an incentive to be able to um, use more advanced strategies, right? To to properly structure how you're going to uh, title the the properties. So. My wife and I, uh, our house is not in both of our names. It's in one name. Uh, so that way, uh, that one doesn't count against both of us, both from a debt to income ratio, uh, as well as from a property ownership uh, perspective. And then on top of that, each of the properties, the rental properties are just in one person's name. Uh, obviously in this scenario, you want to make sure that you're working with people that you can trust, uh, either that, that they trust you because the property's in your name or you trust them because the property's in their name. Uh, and so I, I only work with people that I inherently trust like my wife and, and, uh, my close friend. Uh, so, but based on that, the way we've structured it is we can actually almost get 30 properties under this program because we could put 10 in my name and then we could put 10 in my wife's name and we could put 10 in my partner's name. And so based on that, we can have 30 properties under this amazing program that actually is, in my eyes, a lot better than the traditional programs, the investor programs, because one, it offers a lower interest rate uh, you know, than a lot, of the, a lot of the loans you're going to look at. Uh, the last one I did, uh, unfortunately, the, the rates have gone up a little bit recently. So uh, the, the base pr- pricing at par was like five and a quarter, but we uh, actually knocked up the rate a little bit to uh, reduce our out-of-pocket on the refi. And so it was 30 years fixed at 5.875. That's still it, great. That's still, still great, great, especially still for great an investment rate. loan. Yeah. yeah, It's still a great rate. Uh, but it was because, unfortunately, the, the rates have gone up. It is like actually almost a full point higher than the one we did a, a year prior to that. 
you know, so, so that one hurts a little bit. Uh, but you know what, again, uh, as long as you look at your numbers and, uh, the cash flows based on what you're looking for, then you're not too worried about it. Absolutely. And the greatest thing is your tenants are paying that bill. So you don't have to worry about that. (laughs) Yeah. That's why, that's what I love about rental properties is that essentially you got to do a little work at the beginning. You got to put, put in a little effort, put in a little equity. And then at the end, somebody else buys a house for you and essentially it's yours. And all you have given up is the use of that property uh, for that period of time while they're in there paying for it for you. That's a great point. So Lee, tell me if hypothetically everything was wiped away and you had to start all over with everything that you know now with you know how to build a business that you can invest in other states, not worry about just having to invest in your own city so you can see the property, all those things like that. So hypothetically, if you had to start all over, how would you get started investing in real estate and what would you do? Well, the, the number one thing is that uh, you know, I, I've built up a, a lot of strong relationships over the years. So even if my balance sheet got wiped out and I had to file bankruptcy or, or uh, you know, some magic uh, gremlin came over and took all my money, uh, I believe that I have enough friendships and relationships over the, that I built up where if I found a great deal, somebody would trust me enough to be able to, uh, to, be able to buy the property. And, uh, and th- that's basically how it started up again. I would take a private loan that's that would be unsecured because with that delayed financing program, you cannot have a, a lien against the property, so you can't buy it with a, another mortgage. Uh, and then that's basically how I start. I would use this program to its fullest because it's quick, it's easy, and it's better pricing than any other type of investor loan that I've been able to experience. That's great. I've done a blanket loan over four or five different properties that I have, and that's a commercial loan. And so the the terms and the rates are totally different than a residential loan. So you getting a 30-year fixed at five, uh, would you say 5.75 or something like that? That's that's great. You know, mine is like a five-year fixed, and then we have to readjust after five years. And just that's the way commercial loans are, and the interest rate is higher. And oh, well, you know, hey, it's a cost of doing business, but like you and I both said, our tenants are the ones that pay for it. So it's a brilliant business. Yeah, I've, I've had a number of uh, mortgage brokers try to talk to me about doing blanket loans. And I'm like, well, I appreciate that. Uh, but the program I'm using right now is significantly lower as far as points as well as um, the rate. So thanks, but no thanks. But it's good to know that those type of op- options are available where once I do max out these programs, then I can start looking at, at using those uh to fund things on on a on a more regular basis, or at least until I can pay off some of these other properties from the cash flow and open up slots in that program to be able to to add even more properties. I think that's very wise. Good for you. Well, I'm super excited about your business. Um, so, Lee, you've shared a lot about real estate and your experiences in there. Can you give us a book that you um, are either really interested in or that you would suggest that our listeners can can get out and read or listen to the audiobook that has really would be a really good tool for them? Well, I just started reading this book called The Truth About Your Future, The Money Guide You Need Now, Later, and Much Later by Rick Edelman. And what I really like about it is that it's kind of changing the way that you the way that you think and the way that you're approaching what you're doing today because there's so much going on in the terms of sciences and, and technology that the world, you know, even a decade from now is going to be vastly different. You know, we're on the verge of all this nanotechnology, personalized medicine, you know, uh, 
artificial intelligence, you know, self-driving cars. There's so much going on right now that kind of the assumptions that we've been using for the last decade or two or even longer really may not be applicable, you know, a decade or two or, or much longer than that from now. I mean, we're going to be living longer because of all the, the advances in medicine. You know, uh, people aren't going to be getting into as many accidents because we're going to have self-driving cars. There's going to be vast differences in the way that we live. But also think about that in the, in the terms of thinking about your uh, your business, right? As you're thinking about, you know, your rental properties, as you're thinking about like for, with me, with like, you know, blogging and podcasting, same thing with you. Uh, you have to think about, what am I, how am I doing my business? And, and when these types of changes happen, how can I make sure that I'm setting myself apart to take advantage of these changes that are coming? And so to me, it's just, it's, it's really a great exercise in thinking and being strategic as far as how you're going to plan out your business. And I just, I really love that concept. And even if all those things don't happen and even in our lifetime, there are going to be some amazing changes that happen. Just think about how your parents grew up versus how you're growing up today. And, um, you know, those type of changes are not going to slow down, uh, in many ways, they're just going to get, they're just going to accelerate. That's great. I'm going to have to absolutely going to have to check out that, that book. And for everybody listening, I'll put these in the show notes, make sure that you go over there and find that book. Um, anyways, Lee, tell us a little bit about, cause we're going to wrap up the show. If somebody wants to get a hold of you to ask you questions or just see what you're up to, how can they get a hold of you? Well, uh, like Dustin said at the beginning, is I actually write uh, for a living now talking about travel and credit card and rewards and how to basically travel for free. So my website is baldthoughts.com and you can find me there. Uh, and coming in September, I'm actually launching my own podcast uh, called the We Travel There podcast where I interview people like Dustin uh, about uh, the the best things to, to see, eat, do, and drink in cities from a local's perspective. And make sure you check out the episode with Dustin because we interview him about his hometown, Fresno. And uh, there's actually a lot of great things to do there that I've been there a number of times and, and I had no idea that these were there. So yeah, I, I love I love your podcast. I'm um, really looking forward to hearing a lot more about just general places that you would not know that, hey, there's these cool things to do because I travel a lot for my business as well as my uh, my blog and my podcast business to conferences and things like that. So being able to to find cool local things inside the area of wherever I'm going is going to be super cool. Well, Lee, thank you so much for being a part of the show. And I really am excited for you and your future and your business. And it was really, really great information. I got a lot of information out of it. I know my listeners will also get a ton of information, great information on how they can get started. So thank you again. Again, Lee, I really appreciate you. It was a pleasure and I look forward to talking to you soon. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. And that was my interview with Lee Huffman. I hope you guys got a lot out of it. I know I sure did. Now remember, as always, I have my free course that I want to give you. I want you to get started investing in real estate. Go over to my website, masterpassiveincome.com forward slash free course forward slash free course so that you can get started investing in real estate. If you haven't already, you need to start now. The best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago, but the second best time is today. So get started. Go to my site, masterpassiveincome.com. Grab your free course. Check out the show notes. And as always, I really appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for being a part of the show. If you could subscribe, rate, and review the show, it really helps me out. It gets the word out to more people that they can change their lives with real estate rental properties. All right, guys, take care of yourselves. See ya.